Welcome to the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. In this edition, we speak with Andre Kumar from the Australian National University about the development of a revolutionary new night vision technology. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and today I'm joined by Andre Kumar, a research fellow at the Australian National University, who's here to talk to us about a new revolutionary technology for night vision. Andre, welcome to the show. Hello, nice to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to present our technology to the broader audience, like, and what's important, non-scientific audience. <laughs> yeah, people who are interested but not necessarily know all the all the horrible details at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to explain it as simple as possible. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, Andre, we'll start with a little bit about you. Uh, you're a, a researcher at Australian National University. Uh, can you tell us which uh, division you're part of, what you're working on, that kind of thing? Yes, I work in a research school of physics and uh, we have also Center of Excellence. It's a collaboration of different universities inside Australia and internationally as well. The name of the center is TMOS, Transformative Meta-Optical Systems, and I'm also part of this center. Okay, excellent. And uh, can you give us a bit of a background? So you're here as a researcher with TMOS. How did you get to this position here in Canberra? I finished my PhD. Actually, originally I'm from Belarus and I finished my university master degree in Belarus in physics department. After that, I finished PhD courses in Belarus as well and come to Australia doing my second PhD. I was graduated, I guess, about three years ago. And after that, I continued to work here as a research fellow. But uh, how my journey started in physics, I always was curious about how this word works and at the very, very low level. And this is why I decided to study physics. But I also was curious about technology. And uh, during my like career, I also studied engineering. I worked like electronics engineer and... Uh, yeah, it's it's also helping me now, like connect science and applications technology. Based on what I've read about the new technology, you're in the perfect spot for it between physics and and micro and engineering and technology and everything. It's bringing it all together, isn't it? Yes, and actually, it was my dream, and I like my position right now because. Uh, my dream is to develop. So first, I wanted to study how it works, but now I want to bring something new. And uh, I want to create some devices, but uh, to be in the intermediate level between science, so the latest uh, fundamental research, and the technology, and provide this link when, for example, companies are not ready to take the technology from university because it's too complicated. For example, they don't have enough facility to develop it. They don't have enough knowledge, but uh, it can be very useful. It can create like different, absolutely like revolutionizing, as you say, technology. And uh, I like 
to work and to provide this link from university to company to final customer. Well, fantastic. So that's a good backgrounder and a bit of a tease about what's involved in this new night vision technology. So can you give us an overview of how this technology works and how it's actually going to provide the low light night vision without needing cryogenic freezing of components? Actually, first of all, let's uh, a bit discuss about night vision like technologies. And there are two types of technologies. And when you ask about cryogenic, it's a bit different what we are developing. So actually, what is our goal? To see at night, for example, when there is no any light or the light is very low. Actually, to so it happens that our eye can see visible light. So it's a part of spectrum that is sensitive for our eye. And to see other objects, what we need, we need source of light, anything. Like, for example, bulb, light bulb. We need, like, at night, for example, we use bonfire or anything else. But what happens at night? At night, when the sun is going down, you don't have any more this source of light. That The light can be scattered by other objects and you can see it. But we still have night glow. We have light from stars, from moon, and a bit of the scattered like sunlight from this night sky. And what happens is that this light is in a bit different part of spectrum, in different wavelengths that our eye can see in infrared, in the near infrared. And there is a first type of technology. Uh, it's image intensifiers. When tried to catch this very, very low light and this near-infrared light, near to visible, and transform it to visible light that our eye can see. This is the first technology, and we want to substitute this technology and make it better. And another technology is the thermal radiation. Like any hot body emits light. As I said, like bonfire, it emits visible light, yeah, and we can see. And But even our body, it's a warm object. It's a 36.6 Celsius degrees, and it also emits radiation. But it emits radiation in the far like a spectrum of wavelengths. It's a more than two, three, four micrometers. So actually, that's a bit like visible light is the 0.4 to 0.8 micrometers. When I talk about near to visible infrared, it's a 0.8 to 1.5, two micrometers. And two and more micrometers, it's a thermal radiation. And in that case, in these wavelengths, we become source of light. We now emit radiation, and this is a different uh, night vision technology. In this part of technology, you need these cryogenic cooling sensors. So our technology is not about that spectral region. Probably it's possible, but currently it's it's uh, we will talk a bit about that if it's possible or not. But currently we work to uh, substitute these current image intensifiers with a new type of technology. Right. So it's low light intensifying as opposed to seeing the thermal radiation from various people and, and objects and so on. So yeah, thus no cryogenics, which is great because that, that adds a lot of cost, hassle and maintenance when you look at some of the gear that's on, on the various helicopters and aircraft and so on. So my understanding from reading the uh, media release and the article and so on is that uh, this technology that you're using is is using metasurfaces can you can you tell us what they are yeah what is a metasurface concept 
Yes. So um, uh, first of all, uh, no, we name it metamaterial and 2D metamaterial is a meta surface, but uh, it's a new material that has properties that not exist in the natural materials and uh, how it happens. For example, you know the different optical materials like glass, plastic, quartz, and so on, they all have different properties. But why it happens? Why they have these different properties? Because it happened then when you build this material. For example, glass is a melted sand. And by chance, it happens that if you melt sand, it becomes a substance with some special atomic structure that transmit visible light and behaves accordingly like normal gloves behaves. But it all happened like by chance. But what matters for light? For light, it matters the, the size of these atoms, of these structures, and it what determines the property of uh, this material, of e it responds to the light. And when today, as I said, like visible light is between 0 0.4 to 0 0.8 micrometers, that is 400 to 800 nanometers. And today we can, we have a technology to build nanostructures that lower than wavelengths of light. Like for example, you know this uh, uh, modern uh, processor technology, five, seven nanometers, like 20 nanometers. So we now can build and scientists came up with idea. Now let's reconstruct this, our small kind of atom, we even name them meta-atoms. Let's create some special shape, arrange them in a special lattice, and we will build them to get uh, properties, to get uh, uh, like uh, uh, behavior that is, doesn't exist in nature today. So we construct new materials. And that's why we name it meta-materials. Meta, actually, it's a beyond from Greek. So it's a beyond, it's artificially created materials beyond natural materials that exist. Okay, so there's all the research going into meta-materials, um, nanoscale films and so on. So where did the inspiration come that, hey, maybe we can use this to amplify light and, and give us a low-light vision? So, yeah, actually, let's a bit um, talk about, as you asked, about technology. So we said that we work in this uh, first, like, part night vision technology, like image intensifier. But it's actually what happens. So we... We have infrared light, and the idea is that this night glow has uh, much more infrared illumination than visible illumination. So if our eye could see infrared light, it would be bright at night. It's what we want. So what we do, we use nonlinear effect, but don't worry about this <laughs> term. It's very, it's, uh, it's very easy. So you actually, you have your infrared light and imagine that you have another light with another wavelength of frequency that is the same. And now you get a sum. So there is a, such a, an effect, some frequency generation. So you take a frequency on infrared light, add a frequency of uh, another like photon or another light and get third photon with the third like frequency. And what it means, because frequency inversely connected with wavelengths, so 
you get from the big wavelengths, lower wavelengths. It's what we want. We want to convert our 1.5 micrometers infrared light to 0.5 micrometers green light, for example. It's how this technology works. And actually, the effect is known before. It's a nonlinear effect, was discovered um, in, I don't know, 60s or 70s, but the efficiency was very low. So your visible light will be always much lower than infrared. And before the efficiency was, what, what means efficiency? It's you have some amount of infrared light, you get some amount of visible light. How much visible light you get? thousand times lower, million times lower, a billion times lower. So previously, it was like million or billion times lower. So you cannot detect this visible light. With metasurfaces, we can increase this efficiency. It makes it, it's crucial for night vision application. So if you convert to visible, but you cannot see this visible, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, because like people... There, we all work in photonics. We know these nonlinear effects. And when we, as I said, when we come up, let's build new materials that have new properties. People come up, okay, let's try nonlinear effect. Maybe we can magnify them and we can get higher, for example, this efficiency. And the night vision application is the logical application from that. Yeah, we can see from infrared, convert to visible. It's a night vision. So this is using the metasurface, the, the nanoscale metasurface film over a, the, the example was showing it uh, applied to a set of glasses. And then somehow you're shining a laser through there to give the added light. Yes, a second photon, as I described, yeah. So we have infrared light, first infrared light from night sky, from stars, like scatters from the objects come to our, this piece of glass, piece of, of our substrate with nanostructures. And from the side, we illuminate the structure with laser at the, some special wavelengths or special frequency. These two photons sum up and we receive visible photon. So all th- so the, the metasurface nanoscale layer is, is giving the two sources of, of photons a chance to act together and come out through to the, the viewing side in the right, freq- the right layer. Yes, exactly. So it makes them, how to say, it makes them interact longer to convert, actually. So many photons come through infrared without this conversion. And building this metasurface, we like make them to interact for a longer time and provide this visible photon that we need. Fantastic. So giving them a play area that they have to work in before they come out. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> delaying actually, them yeah. Yes, nice. exactly. So in scientific way, we say we built resonator. Gotcha. So this is building on... A lot of work that's been done in the past, uh, the scientific principles and of optics and so on. So it, it's built on previous knowledge, and somebody's gone, okay, this. Let's look at this as a way to work with amplifying, you know, image enhancing. There is a scientific community who works in this area, and like honestly, 
ideas based on some kind of technology, some kind of previous research. And because everybody knows this, so ideas very similar. And uh, But somewhere in the conference, for example, what it's how it starts collaboration, what it's very important to be on the physically on the conference. You cannot do it online normally. <laughs> it's it's over the coffee. Two people meet and have a chat about what they're working on, and next thing you know, yes, yes. So first, you hear the conference other talks. You know what people do. You know what is the level uh, of their expertise, and uh, after that, listening to all of that, you have some ideas. You start discuss these ideas with these people, and uh, because we want to work efficient and to develop science in the fastest way, we start talking about collaboration. For example, some group does numerical simulation very well. Or for example, they already have some written uh, numerical code that does some simulation. Another group has do fabrication and they are expert in fabrication. For example, our group good in experimental setups and optics, or for example, we have a laser that nobody has, that necessary, that it's very expensive, for example, and so on. And we start discussing these ideas, and finally, we uh, have some workflow, some tasks that we're going to do, and we start sharing these tasks, and uh, it how it works. So actually, for example, if we talk about this particular project in Italian part, so they did simulation. They very uh, like experienced people in nonlinear optics and nanoresonator optics. So like actually, workflow is like that. We have an idea. First, we try to simulate it using like softwares, mathematics, and so on, because like we know how light propagates through materials, Maxwell's equation, and so on. And when uh, our numerical simulation shows that it can be the effect that we expect, we start to fabricate our samples. It's a big story because it's a nanofabrication, very, very like sophisticated process. And um, we do experiment where we check our idea that it's really works. And I would imagine that um, once the initial contacts have been made and the collaborative group is set up, uh, you would very much be working in an online environment, remote connectivity, shared environments, shared information. So be, once that collaboration is underway, being locked down in COVID, you're still able to continue your, your, because you're using mechanisms you already had. Yeah, actually, what for starting the collaboration, it's crucial to be like to meet in person and to have a lot of discussion like we do right now, like person to person. But uh, when it's already done, we, yeah, we can work online. It, it's normally so we can send our samples. Um, we can get all discussion and get all results of simulation and experiments online. The only thing, for example, if we want to, uh, for example, like what happens with Bulgarian uh, people, they help with experiment. They came and did experiment with us. They cannot come right now. Or, for example, like delivery of samples. Now it takes longer than before COVID. And it's actually what makes longer everything. So there is impact, but it's not non-stopping. Well, it's good that it's able to continue because it's 
so basically, it's the the goal is to have uh, effectively as as there's an artist's impression of a pair of glasses, and the per, they're holding them up, and you're seeing a couple of kangaroos, some foliage, and all that kind of stuff. That's that's the end goal. Uh, so products. I mean, immediately there is of course a military option here. Uh, the the ability to see uh, and low levels of light without needing heavy binocular kind of or view equipment held in front of your face, which is very straining if you're running around already carrying a pack or if you're pulling G's in an aircraft and things like that. But it's not only that. So I want to describe what's the difference between current image intensifiers. As we, we started about this is a revolutionized technology. What is revolution? What is about that? So actually, the thing here that we do this conversion from infrared to visible light all optically. So we don't block any visible light. So uh, what, what happens today? So uh, current image intensifiers, they also, uh, in some terms, they convert infrared light to visible light, but they have this intermediate level of electronics. So actually, they capture photons from infrared, visible, everything that can capture, convert them to electron. After that, they amplify these electrons, and with phosphoret screen, they convert these electrons back to the green light. And here you have this intermediate electronic level, and you block visible light. And you have many disadvantages. You lose all spectral information. It means different wavelengths. Uh, what is a spectral? Spectral, it's like a colors for visible. The difference between green, red, and blue, it's a wavelength. And actually, because all of these wavelengths, and in infrared, it's also different. Object scatters different like wavelengths with different magnitude. It means if you could convert it in colors, you would see in infrared also different colors. But here, all your photons, doesn't matter from, uh, from wavelengths, they convert to electrons. And after that, you lose all of this information. Plus, uh, all of them have some problems. For example, if you have a bright light, it can burn the device. Okay, so today, the, like companies, they build some special shutters that save, but still, this is a problem. And you, you block your visible like channel that you had without this device. What happens here? You have your visible camera, you put some transparent for visible light piece of glass in front of it with some this glass with some nanostructure inside. You don't block completely your visible channel, what you could see, but you start just seeing these infrared photons that convert to visible photons. And it's very easy for you if you, and you see them only when you have this laser background ready illumination. So you switch off laser, you have your visible light. You switch on, you start to see on top of your visible image. You start to see your visible like picture of infrared scattered light. Supplementing as required by turning on and off. Yes. And once again, after you convert this to visible light, you can use all advantages of visible optics. So sensors are very cheap and very like good resolution, megapixels today, very, very cheap and very like uh, efficient and so on. You can use like normal optics. You don't need anything 
special infrared, expensive infrared devices. So naturally, we've we've spoken about the military approach, but this has a lot of benefits in the civilian world as well. Um, you could imagine a future where your your windscreen of your car has this with a laser to amplify light at night. Is, is this the kind of area, or are you, are you looking more at industrial uses? Or no, we are looking for anything. <laughs> yeah, it depends on what we can promise to people. And um, yes. Actually, it's also possible, and we thought about that. Uh, the restriction today is that it's still nanofabrication. For large-scale nanofabrication, in still is a complex thing. And that's why, for example, you can see modern processor. So it's like several centimeters square. It's what can be built quite cheap. But to cover windscreen, uh, today, I guess it's... Uh, it's a challenge. Yeah, we have a long way to go to get to that. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Okay, I agree. So but everything like normal optics. Yeah, we we seek for this application. Yeah, glasses or glasses, camera lenses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of the glasses, as I mentioned earlier, the the artist's impression on one of the articles I've seen it does have, as I explained, you've got the glasses they're wearing and you can now see kangaroos, foliage and so on. But I noticed in the paper that was released, the examples that are being shown, I'm not sure when the paper was actually put out, but it it's showing large blocky rectangular shapes and resolution is definitely not at the uh, seeing foliage and so on that kind of level. So so we're quite a, a way away from there at the moment. We're, we're, you've got proof of concept. How, what's the resolution like on those? Resolution is low currently because of the experimental challenges, but um, we expect that resolution is not a problem because there is no, like what we name, fundamental problem. Fundamental, it means it's technically possible. But actually, uh, yeah, let's talk about at what level we are. So how far we are from this artistic image that we wear glasses and see everything. Yeah, in Nirvana, yeah. <laughs> the world of perfection. <laughs> perfection, yes. So we are still, let's be honest, we're still in the scientific part of development of this technology. And what is the difference between science and engineering? Uh, science, we develop, like we try to discover some laws of nature, of like we name it of physics, but like, and these laws, they could not exist. So we can, it doesn't, uh, for example, we have some idea, we start to check it, but uh, it just, it's, it's not, it's fundamentally, what we say fundamentally means impossible because it, it, there is no this, this effect in nature. And this is the problem. So we can work a lot, like build everything, but we still don't have effect that we expected. And that's why we say that negative result is also result in science because other people will not try anymore this idea and we know that it doesn't work. Yeah, engineering, it's when you use already known laws of nature, of physics, and start to build something on top of that. And it means that you will always get your device. It depends on money, on how much like engineering power you have, or other resources, investment, and so on. But you finally 100% can build that. 
So with this particular technology, what we talk about, we're talking about right now, uh, converting infrared light to visible light using this some frequency generation effect. We still in our experiment have low, as I said, efficiency. So we, in numerical simulation, we have high number, so high power of visible power comparing like what we've got in uh, our uh, experiments, real like experiments with, with our sample. That's why we still need this part of uh, like research, scientific research, fundamental research. We have some ideas currently how to improve what, why we didn't have so high power like visible comparing with what we simulated. So it requires some additional scientific work, but we cannot like promise that 100% it will work. We'll get this number, like magical numbers that we need. Like number that's like, if we get thousand times less visible power than infrared, it's good. We'll be able to see it with eye from night glow, our calculations. But now it's, it is lower. But why we want start working with companies? Because the earlier companies start to work with us, the faster we can build the, what, this final device. For example, we will overcome this fundamental problem, but we already can start working. For example, a uh, company knows what wavelength regions they want. Company knows some other parameters because now we just doing it like arbitrarily, more or less. So we convert some infrared light to some visible. And that's why at this stage, the perfect collaboration is the like, scientific plus engineering collaboration. Like, for example, if we talk about Australia, there, are, there is such kind of linkage grant from Australia Research Council that when the part of like uh, finance come from ARC, from research, from government, and part from industry to show that industry is engaged, in that case, it makes less investment from industry, but still we can faster move it to prototype. Yes, yeah, so we still do experiments. We don't build prototype at this stage. How fast? It, as you know, also depends on how much money we have <laughs> and how yeah. many people we have. <laughs> so actually, for we have ideas, but uh, finally to check these ideas, it's a bunch of tasks. And it depends how many people we can share this task, how fast we get equipment, what equipment we can buy. So it's difficult to talk about like period of time. It depends on that. But uh, we expect, okay, if we talk, it's, it's not 100 years. And mm. like, yeah. Less we, plus. <laughs> yeah, no, it's about one to three years if we have... Uh, enough um, investment, enough like money, and uh, like to hire people to do that and to buy equipment. So you start you're starting to get into the commercial research phase, as opposed to the as you were saying, fundamental science research and experimentation. You're you're getting to the point where a company could look at this and go, yeah, we could see this working, and work with yourselves and the ARC and start progressing this. Towards the prototype. We can do it and we will do it, for example, with our company right now. Uh, yes, but with company, it can bring us faster to the glass. 
than to the uh, experiments because it's very difficult what's the problem today i guess in all over the world uh, it's there is a gap between university science and between companies and because science is far away f- like than engineering today than products today yeah we have quantum mechanics but we started to build quantum computers so we haven't used quantum mechanics really for building like devices that people can use and but why it happens because it's very difficult being scientist to deeply understand your field plus know what industry needs what problems are there uh, what's possible and what's not possible so it's a big area and we just don't have time for all of that. Yeah, and also coming from the theoretical side or the initial side, whereas going across to the practical realities of fielding product out there in the world where it's going to get dropped, it's going to get beaten up, <laughs> all those kind of things. Yes, and it happens very uh, frequently, uh, The situa- very often, the situation that uh, it becomes just publication in scientific journals. And why it happens, like idea is like that, that scientists create this, discover these new fundamental laws of physics and publish them that all companies can see that these publications and the idea that companies takes this knowledge and use them to build uh, some devices. But the problem today that science does so sophisticated, it's so deep uh, physics that the companies very often they don't have enough capacity to continue to promote this application they don't have people they don't have for example we now we use nanofabrication we have nanofabrication facilities that cost millions of dollars and companies that build night vision devices they don't have so much money to build this like facility for themselves and they don't need it at this stage because they can outsource it later on like processors like there is apple but apple don't fabricate processor and uh, but they cannot develop it to the prototype because it's still too complicated for them and at this stage where we can be helpful so we're still we understand we can build prototype using university facility using scientific approaches and as soon as it comes to prototype mass production development of this device it can be done by company it doesn't require any more so much investment and it's not so dangerous like for them yeah that yeah. It the, will the not risk work. is lower the risk yeah risk, yeah, risk. yeah. So uh, are you able to say if you've initiated any discussions with commercial entities to progress this to prototype or are you in the stage now where you're looking for commercial entities to work with in in conjunction with the ARC? We are looking now. That's why (laughs) we come here, yeah. (laughs) So we probably somebody who are listening right now, us will be interested in that area (laughs) and please welcome to contact us, yeah. And uh, we now investigate uh, we are investigating right now uh, what companies possibly can be interested in Canberra, um, Australia, and we'll start contacting them. And yeah. You never know, someone could be listening to this and going, hey, we've got a research and development team who want to work on that. So 
Yes, and actually what also the difference. Of course, it's, um, uh, for example, it's a long-term story still. As I said, like, for example, with a good enough investment, it can be one, two years for developing uh, this um, fundamental research. Of course, if we see that we expect, we anticipate good results, we can start building prototype, but it's still build prototype, build final device. But what's the advantage? Because it's a absolutely different technology. Fundamentally, it's, a, it's a, like we said, like revolutionized technology. And uh, it means for company, big advantage compared with competitors. Because, for example, sometimes I can see a company develops some new electronics that makes something a bit faster and so on. But because these other companies see, okay, it's good, it's good feature and they can repeat it quite fast. Here, other company requires the same, the same way. They like scientific, they need to have similar scientific group in their region or doesn't matter somewhere that works with them with the same facility like fabrication and so on and only that way they can repeat it that's why it like makes it's like imagine we come from crt tv sets to liquid crystal so it, there is no no interaction except for both of them gives you image and actually, it's 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 a good example because this image intensifier it's actually it's similar to the CRT cathode ray tube technologies. Yep, bulky, weighty, expensive to maintain, all the things that go with it. Whereas this, if it's if it gets to market, will be so much better, so much easier, give you so much more. And hopefully it can come through at a good price point. Well, Andre, unfortunately, we've got to stop the discussion here. Uh, it's been great. I've really appreciated you telling us about this technology, the concepts and where it's at and what's required to get it to prototype. I really do hope that uh, there's a company out there that's uh, able to recognize the, the opportunities here and uh, work with yourselves and the ARC to bring this to market because it sounds like, as you were saying, it's going to be a major game changer and really give a company a leg up in this market. Yeah, thank you again for giving this opportunity to present this technology to, as I said, broader audience. And we hope uh, that it will work. We continue to work on the technology, but, but uh, as I mentioned, with collaborators, it becomes faster. And Indeed. Why, yeah. And that's why collaboration works. We work with different uh, institutes uh, in all over the world, but we have the same, same goal. We want science developing faster. So we all benefit from this. Andre Kumar, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. The ADM podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yeffa media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yeffa.com.au.
You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.